Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. Today, the topic of conversation is the practical implementation of sensors in the changing drug development world. Leading this discussion will be Keith Wenzel, Senior Director within ParXL's Scientific Data Organization. Mr. Wenzel will be in conversation with Julia Lakeland, Solutions Architect and Program Director at ParXL, and Thomas Wells, CEO of Precision Digital Health. Welcome all. Keith, please take it away. Thanks, Danny, and welcome. We're glad you joined us today. A couple of opening comments. Today, we'll explore the use of sensors and wearables in life sciences clinical research. I'll use those terms as will the subject matter experts interchangeably. Clinical trial sponsors and regulatory agencies are increasingly accepting of sensors. Best practices are being established and today, our experts will share some of those with you. Let's jump right into it. Let's start with the introductions. Julia, could you go first, please? Hi, pleasure to be here today. My name is Julia Lakeland. I'm a program director and solution architect, and my role is responsible for the selection, implementation, um, and delivery of wearable devices within clinical research. Great, and Thomas. Hi, thanks Keith for the introduction. Uh, my name is Thomas Wells, uh, CEO and co-founder of Precision Digital Health. Uh, we offer a device platform called SUMA uh, to support clinical trials and clinical research. Thank you. Great, thank you. First question for both of you. Julia, if you could go first. Are there clinical trial phases one through four that are more suitable for sensor use than others? So the short answer is no. I think what we've started to see, especially within the last 12 to 18 months, is a dramatic shift within the deployment and use of sensors, both across phase of study, but also therapeutic area. And the use case completely varies. COVID has accelerated the digitization of various technologies within clinical research. We are seeing increasingly that wearable devices and sensors are being used within phase two, phase three of studies, but they also continue to be explored within early phase, phase one, but also within pilots um, and informal assessments as well as phase four. So we are seeing the full broad spectrum of wearables, but as I say, increasingly, there is more use within global studies than there, than there definitely was 18 months ago from what we can see. Great, thank you. Thomas, what about your perspective? Yeah, we are also seeing, I concur with Julia, an increase in uh, all phases of the clinical trial process for the use of devices. Uh, one thing we are noticing is a greater expansion to global use, as well as we, we're seeing a trend in the industry Obviously, building study designs using device trials is complex and it's evolving. So we do see a trend of earlier phase trials that are smaller in scope being used to prove out the process and get the sponsor prepared for, say, a larger phase three trial. And that's uh, getting more common. And we're also starting to see trends where uh, multi-device designs are evolving and creating greater complexity as we move forward. Can you say more about those devices, Thomas? What's the mix of types of devices you're seeing? 
What we're seeing overall, we're seeing areas around actigraphy. Uh, so actigraphy can be used in a broad sense and vitals can be used in a broad sense across many different therapeutic trials, as well as we are seeing things targeted very uh, deep in the clinical trial therapeutic areas like uh, CGM or even using like actigraph or actigraphy in this space looking at neurological diseases. So where we're applying things that are common every day uh, vitals to a clinical trials, more generic devices being used where we're looking to solve something as an endpoint in a clinical trial that's specific to a therapeutic area. We're seeing things like CGM, continuous glucose monitor being leveraged or possibly a digitized EKG uh, being used in direct-to-patient models. Julia, does that match Parkcell's experience? It does. Yeah, very much so. And Thomas and I often have quite detailed and lengthy conversations about what we're seeing within um, occurring within industry. But and as I mentioned earlier, when you look at the use case, increasingly pharmaceutical companies and our clients are becoming more confident and more competent with their inclusion of devices. When I look two and a half years ago, there was this the big data component was unknown, but we're increasingly seeing that the sophistication of these devices, their applicability to clinical research, and the devices now are so much more mature. You know, if you look at, as Thomas said, you know, we've got CGMs out there, and they've been used within research now for well, my daughter's been diabetic for six years. She's had a CGM for well over five, five years of those. So these devices and the data associated with it are really starting to become fully automated and understood within our industry and within, especially by our medical directors and our, our medical expertise groups. But alongside diabetes, we are also seeing that exploratory studies continue to be of interest. So Parexcel has done a number of studies, both informal assessments and early phase studies where we're really looking at is the data valid? What's the patient comfort like? How does the usability rate? What levels of compliance are we expecting to find? And it's those, it's those new devices. And let's be honest, this is a fast moving area that, you know, new devices, especially as, as we've started to see that change in regulations and that confidence grow within wearable devices, that those use cases and actually being able to capture those endpoints, which historically you, you couldn't really capture, especially within the home environment, is starting to come to the forefront. And so looking at which new devices are coming on the market and getting hands-on experience within a smaller environment, within a sub-study before moving into a larger global phase two, phase three is always a pragmatic approach that we, I think we, we certainly see and I think we will continue to see. We are risk averse understandably so as well. Patient safety, patient comfort and compliance of the data are all key factors that we continuously take into account as an industry. And I, I think as new, in, new devices become available, we will continue to see that trend. 
as we're seeing that combination grow in the future, we're also seeing it be embedded deeper into the clinical trials where we're seeing devices that were just used standalone to collect evidence generation uh, being put in to drive and uh, I'll call it closed loop feedbacks where we're seeing combining surveys with an ECOA with a closed loop or doing a, a gate test from a device and linking that to a clinical trial endpoint or other mm-hmm. validated tools. So the designs are getting more complex as sponsors and others are adapting them into their clinical trial design themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you look at how the six-minute walk test has has started to adapt. And when you look at that best six-minute effort and how you can perform that within the home environment and take that data and, and lay it alongside those e-pros or electronic patient reported outcomes as well you start to get this holistic picture of the patient and the the meaningful insights that that brings is starting to be invaluable so then speaking of devices clinical trial sponsors need to select an appropriate device how does that process work what what are the best practices julia for selecting a device so as i mentioned there are there's a whole host of devices out there and each of them will have their own specific purpose. When we start to look at device selection, we continuously put the patient first. And that's for two reasons or for a number of reasons. You want to make sure that the patient can use the device um, and that it's fit for the patient population. You then need to consider the applicability of the measurement being extracted from the wearable. So defining those objectives as part of your study design, as part of your protocol, and really understanding what you want to measure is is important because that will then link back to which devices is suitable. So here at PowerXL, we have and we maintain a device catalog. We will constantly engage in order to be device agnostic in order to make sure that the best device is selected for the patient for the study design and ultimately for the the clinical research we scan the market we understand which which new devices have got fda clearance and we will then engage with those vendors and we then have this a device checklist um, as well as our device catalog which ultimately then goes to look at how do we align what device with which measurements for which therapeutic area for which patient population so in a in a tried and tested model ultimately that's what we are that's what we're looking for is about making sure that right device is selected not just for the measurements but for the patient use um, and from there, we then, you know, work with partners like Thomas and PDH to look at what that data flow looks like and what level of compliance and what level of monitoring can we obtain and, and the patient engagement aspect, because what we don't want to end up with at the end of a study or even partway through a study is a loss of data. If you can have continuous data, good compliance right from the start, that is much easier to maintain than trying to capture engagement further on down through the, through the study design. And Thomas, um, Precision Digital Health must see lots of devices and you have to integrate with those devices. You're known as experts in real world data. 
sensors are real world data or do collect real world data. Can you speak about the integration of the device? How does that work? Sure. I mean, the build on kind of what Julie has said, I think if we kind of follow standard clinical trials, our sponsors are expecting repeatable processes and looking at the ecosystem of devices out there, all types of vendors and technology. And we really have to demonstrate, I think, patient experience. We need to keep patients on trials and collect things and drive compliance with the data collection so that data collection is meeting objectives that are ultimately defined in the protocol. Doing so creates, uh, I'll say, a technology challenge and an integration challenge because we have to create a common umbrella for all these devices to allow sponsors and others to execute them in uh, real world and treat them all the same. As sponsors and CROs are managing these trials, there has to be a unified process uh, to integrate in that allows uh, centralized management and we have very diverse ecosystem as I mentioned. Uh, we found we have to manage one of three types of inter interfaces with the technologies that are out there today direct to device uh, where we can read directly from that device physically, uh, whether that's a USB connection or something else is a common interface. And some vendors only support one or more of these interfaces. So it limits our capabilities. Uh, the other would be direct cloud. You have a vendor who has a sensor and the ability to deploy the sensor to patients, whether the transmission to the cloud is being managed uh, by them or another party, we can only interface to the data by going cloud to cloud and pulling that information and bringing that forward. And then the third one, which is becoming ever evolving as COVID and other things drive it further direct to patient or even in a site uh, managed uh, studies, having mobile capabilities with Bluetooth where we're actually working directly with the, the sensor or device drivers and have full control of that sensor. Uh, for us, the later, the more control we have of these devices and sensors, the more we can standardize it. Single application, multiple devices, structuring repeatable processes that sponsors can easily incorporate into their clinical trials eases the burden and, and makes it more standardized for others to execute and manage. Uh, that, that's been our key driver to date. Following that up, you've characterized this is doable, but sometimes a little bit complex. What are your sponsors saying to you? What's keeping them up at night? I break this down into two areas. I think you look at the maturity, some sponsors devices are new for them. So this is an education process as we go forward and how do, how do we leverage devices in a study design? How do we bring that concept as the protocol is being written is one area where it's more of a, not, I, I don't think keeping, keeping them up at night, but it's adding a level of complexity they've never been exposed to. And then the second is those that have been working with devices and maturing we're going into kind of a next era where the device design trials are getting more complex in nature. And how do you measure compliance on a four-year trial and make sure based on certain visit windows, you're collecting data for those key patients. And it could be a phase three trial with over 3000 patients run in 20 different countries. So when you look at the magnitude of 
types of devices and the variations and all these vendors, how do we do that in such a way where sponsors feel a sense of comfort that, and reliability that what they expect they're going to get and they're investing in something that could be a two to four year trial in some cases. Uh, I think that's one of the key drivers that are keeping sponsors up at night, how to, how to adapt the new generation of trials in their study designs, but also it's a risk. How do I ensure what I'm getting out of this and the types of data and ensure the completeness of the data, patient's compliance? Is it uh, patient experiences uh, at a level that's suitable where the patient's engaged in working with these devices? There's a lot of new factors that have to be considered and this is evolving as, as we're growing. And I think COVID and other factors have driven this even and accelerated the path there. Thanks, Thomas. And it's always interesting to hear from someone who's speaking directly to clinical trial sponsors. Julia, you do that as well. What are you hearing? So I'd like to think that in working with experienced partners like PDH and ParXL um, and experienced CROs that we take, you know, we take that burden away from our clients and we don't keep, and they're not kept awake at night because they have confidence in, in our ability. So I'm going to phrase it as what keeps me awake. But ultimately, when, you know, some of these vendors are quite, some of these technologies are quite new. So as a starting point, keeping the sensor, keeping the device off the critical project path, making sure that the device is suitable for all imports and exports, especially if you're going in a global trial, looking at, you know, where the data is going to be stored. Is it regulatory compliant? Are we being locally compliant with infrastructure and with local regulations. That's kind of one of the starting points because ultimately we these are new technologies and we need to be confident that they are going to work as intended. That is one of the key areas that I'm always mindful of at the, at the start of a study is making sure what are our timelines? How long is it gonna take us to get these devices received and processed? Also from a operational standpoint once they've been deployed once patients are using them you know what's going on in the home because you know you see those blips in your data flow that come through and you're like that's a strange reading I wonder what happened there and then you know you investigate it because obviously one of the beauties of working with Thomas is, and, and Parnas is you can see the data so you you see continuously what's happening and what's occurring you follow up on each use case and maybe the actigraphy is being put on the dog's paw um, or the blood pressure device is being played with by a young child. So, so you can see how these data flows and how these things are building up. So it's, it's that level of granularity and, you know, what's happening in the home? Is the device working as intended? Are those operational windows being met? And, and ultimately, what, what does the compliance look like? What's the compliance look, look like? The patient engagement and that burden, because they are those key success factors that we look to manage and meet within sensor deployments. Great, thanks, Julia. We're nearing the end of our time today. Thomas, could you give us some key takeaways and any other summaries you wanna make? Yeah, I think a key takeaway for all those that are going to be executing clinical trials using devices is really planning. Planning is the number one factor because uh, this is a new field. 
uh, a lot of new exposure to people. And there's many things to account for, everything from budget to critical endpoint of what's the data you're actually measuring. Are you verifying what comes off a device to make sure you can measure your endpoint? Uh, are you taking on a huge project where you're trying to develop a, a critical biomarker that's digital, uh, two different aspects varying in size and magnitude. And you need to make sure that the right planning and the design concepts are thought through and, and move that needle way upstream early on in the discussion around the protocol. Uh, everything from blinding the data, which may be difficult, some of the vendors you may choose do not enable that or uh, maybe create complexities for a company like Precision Digital Health where we have to figure out how to implement blinding in such a way to make that trial compliant for the sponsor's requirement. So I think there's many things to consider, uh, but planning being the number one. Thank you. Julia, concluding comments. So for practical implementation of sensors, I would say it's sensible to establish the inclusion of wearables as its own work stream within a study, but those end-to-end -end services which need to be considered and implemented as in order to be successful need to be mapped in throughout the entire process. So as we said, starting with sensor selection, looking at then the logistics, looking at the protocol design, the measurements, the level of compliance, through to your support model, your technical workflow, your mobile devices, which may or may not come with it. And ultimately then, you know, what are you going to do at the end of the, the study? Where, where does the data go? And what decommissioning is associated? So for me, it's about integrating your, your sensors and looking at all of those end-to-end -end services that go with it. This brings us to the end. I'd like to thank our experts. We appreciate your insights, Julia and Thomas. For those of you who attended, thank you for listening. We hope you learned something. Sensors and wearables are certainly on the rise and supported by regulatory authorities. Have a nice day. Thank you so much for that incredible conversation. Again, you were just listening to Keith Wenzel, Senior Director within ParXL's Scientific Data Organization, Julia Lakeland, Solutions Architect and Program Director at ParXL, and Thomas Wells, CEO of Precision Digital Health. For more information about our PharmaTalk podcast, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Have a lovely day, everyone.